ushers, we appreciate your ministry here this morning. Amen. Praise God. How many of you guys are ready for the Word of God? Praise God. Thank you guys for those that prayed for traveling. Um, grace and mercy. Um, I had mercy because I'm here alive, but not so much grace. I'm all stuck in an airplane for like an hour. Uh, so, um, but other than the traveling part, conference was amazing. Um, tremendous sermons, tremendous spirit of God. The theme of the, of the conference was foundations. And there was just a lot of things that were emphasized there of who we are as a fellowship, things that we need to replicate, that we need to pass down. No doubt this was almost just a, um, a recap of memorial stones uh, that the whole fellowship is watching now. And we thank Pastor Greg for all his hard work, bringing all the information and all that stuff. But it was just an incredible spirit um, there. So uh, I'll encourage you to listen to all the sermons uh, that were preached. It was, they were very, very good. Let's open our Bibles this morning. The book of Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verses 43 through 52. This morning, I want to preach um, and, in, and attempt to inspire people uh, to rise up this morning. I was watching a documentary on a man named Steven Spurrier and didn't finish it. I actually just watched maybe, maybe about 10 or 15 minutes of it, in and out. St Steven Spurrier was a former, a former football player and coach. And in, in this documentary, Spurrier made a comment that stood out to me. He said, I played 10 years in the NFL, and I had the best job. He said, I had the best job in the league. I was a backup quarterback. And that stood out to me so much, a backup quarterback. He says, there's no pressure. You get big checks for little work, and there's job security. So I Googled the idea of the backup quarterback, and it's actually a thing. I read an article that was titled, The Best Job, or Backup Quarterback, The Best Job in Sports. And I want to kind of read, I'll read through it quickly this morning, but I thought it was an interesting uh, mindset to have. It says, the best job in sports is being a backup quarterback in the NFL. That's right, you heard that. The NFL is still the most popular sport in the U.S., and that puts NFL jobs at the forefront, and the most important position in this sport is the quarterback. Being a starting quarterback is cool and all, but there's a lot of work and pressure involved in that. Backup quarterback is where you want to be. You get all the perks of being a quarterback without having to do all the work. Anybody who's ever played or covered football knows that quarterbacks Never get touched in practice. On top of that, if, someone, if somehow the starter gets hurt, the rules in football are designated to keep the quarterback safe. The argument goes against, or the, army, the argument against it is, what about the pay difference? Wouldn't you rather be a starter at another position and make more money? The article says, let's take a look at these numbers. Drew Stanton has been in the NFL for 11 years. Drew Stanton is a backup quarterback making $26 million. Some of you guys are mad at that number. He played 17 times the whole time. Charles Whitworth played 11 years making $17.5 million and only made nine career starts. Matt Flynn made $19 million over eight years and played a whopping seven times. So while guys like Lorenzo Alexander, who plays in every game, 
and is a defensive leader on his current team, made an average less than a million dollars a year over his NFL career. He says, it also goes on to say, also simply can't be overlooked how cool backup quarterbacks look on the sideline. When a starter is struggling, the camera always pans to the backup, and he's always on the sideline with a hat on, an earpiece on, and nowadays a tablet in hand, just looking like a million bucks. <laughs> They're often the most popular guy in town without ever having to even prove they're good. They even get better face time than the starters because the starting quarterbacks normally have helmets on when we see them, but the backup doesn't. And this triggered a thought. <laughs> One, I, I read the article and I got mad. But this triggered a thought in me. I wonder how many backup quarterbacks never make an impact for the league or for any team they play in simply because they're comfortable not rising up. They're good with their $17.5 million. I want to show a picture real quick um, of what you would think if you, if you put it on there. Doesn't he look cool? <laughs> Charles Whitworth exemplifying the cool factor of the back of quarterback on the sideline from the teams. This man made $17.5 million and only played nine times in his career. The reason why I'm saying all this today is because I believe there are many people in church who are playing backup quarterback positions, who are comfortable just with what they get, but they choose comfort over rising up. Our text in Luke chapter 2, verses 43 through 52, we read the story about Jesus as a boy. And it's going to make sense to you the way I'm portraying this text right here. Verse 43 says, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found them in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled Rising Up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this moment that you've given us. God, I pray that by the Holy Ghost you will help me to minister tonight, God, or this morning. Father, I pray, God, that you will bring an anointing, God, upon the words that I speak. I hide behind your cross. I don't come in my talents or my abilities, Lord, but I have full confidence in you, not in this flesh, God, but in what you can do for us here this morning, God. We thank you, Lord. Inspire men and women to rise up. God, rise above their circumstances. 
their surroundings, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. The people of God said this morning, amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is familiar and comfortable. For much of the world, life becomes the pursuit of comfort, the pursuit of luxuries, the pursuit of even security. People work and study to simply retire one day. School for 12 years, if you graduate. College, four years. Then work till you're 60. And then retire. And then retire somewhere absent of responsibilities. And many times, minimal human interaction. I don't doubt it, even as I'm saying this this morning, that sounds very appealing to you. That there's a place in this world where you can just kick back, put your feet up, look at crystal white, sand beaches, and be absent of all responsibilities. For others, comfort comes from money. See, money can create this false sense of comfort and security. This is the whole spirit behind the poverty mindsets, that it can cause people to see generosity like giving up comforts, or people who give as somebody that gives up security, a person with a poverty mindset hoards money. Not all who are poor are broke. Poverty becomes a mindset of greed and covetousness, and many times it follows a faulty view of money. But for most people, the common comfort that we receive comes from a place of familiarity. In our text, we read about a time where Jesus was separated from his parents as a young boy. And what's interesting to note is that the first place that Jesus' parents looked for him was what his friends and acquaintances. If you'll put yourself in this parent's shoes, here it is, they're looking for their child. I wonder this morning, how many of you guys, you've lost your child in a store before? Raise your hand. You've, you've done that before, maybe, or maybe your child, not your fault. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying raise your hand because it's your fault. I'm just saying your kid, your kid left. Isn't it a distressing time? You can't find it. Some of you remember, you might have got it on the PA system. You know, or you ask somebody, can you please say his name, come to the front. But no doubt, here it is, this parents looking for him everywhere. And one of the places he go, they go is the friends and acquaintances, verse 44. But supposing him, they supposed, supposing him to be in a group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And the reason why, because it's human nature. We have, or we receive for the most part, an immediate comfort when it comes from the familiarity of relatives and acquaintances. Not only family, but people who are like-minded. People who you can be surrounded with that like the same stuff that you like. Or, you know, they, 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 they like to speak to you, engage in conversations. And there is this level of comfort that you find in another human. This is why many times when you go to something new, you want somebody to go with you. I wonder if this is why when a woman needs to go to the restroom, she takes 15 of her friends. Because <laughs> of the level of comfort. It's human nature. But you know what? Comfort 
if not careful, is the enemy of growth. No doubt we wish that all, all the people that we love were saved and were committed to the will of God. But the reality is that our commitment to the will of God will cause a separation with friends and acquaintances. Anytime someone is confronted with the call to submit to the will of God, it will go against comfort. Anytime somebody was confronted, you see it in the Bible, it went against comfort. You can think about Peter had to drop his nets, signifying the comfort and the security of his trade. Matthew had to quit his job as a tax collector. Paul had to renounce his eloquent pedigree for the simple gospel. It will always require you to step out of comfort. We see the contrasting results in the rich young ruler's decision to keep his comfort. Matthew chapter 19, verses 20 through 22, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you will be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Ask yourself, why wouldn't he let that go? Treasures in heaven, treasures in a place of eternity, where rust doesn't come, where, where they won't rot. And here it is, this man chooses great possessions. See, for this man, great possessions was something physical. But for many in the house of God, great possessions is found in those around them. You know, some people, some people miss out on God simply because of the comfort their family brings, the comfort friends bring. Because others aren't doing it, the desire to rise up is dwindled. I've said all this to say this. Many people in the house of God don't see growth and increase in the will of God because they won't separate themselves from the familiar. So they don't rise up. In our text, the problem is not that Jesus lost his parents. It was that Joseph and Mary lost Jesus. The separation was caused by Jesus' commitment to the will of God for his life. That's why he says, um, don't you know? He was in the temple when they found him. I'll move on to my second thought, and that is being about the Father's house. You've heard that before. You might have even quoted that before. It's a common phrase that came from Jesus. He tells his parents, don't you know that I must be in my father's house? Some other translation says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? But the thought that he's making, uh, given to them is that don't you understand that God is the priority in my life? A truth we find in our text is that when we choose to rise up, when we choose to commit to God's will, there is a physical separation that occurs. Jesus' commitment to the Father's house brought a physical separation as well as a spiritual one with his parents. See, God's will for our life will at times require us to go different directions 
to those close to us. In our text, it speaks about his parents. But no doubt here this morning as you're saved and you're in the house of God, I want to tell you there will be times where the will of God will require you to rise above the friends around you. To elevate a standard for yourself. See, I'm not just speaking about coming to church. But I'm speaking about a total surrender and obedience to the will of God for your life. Consider God's call to Abraham. Genesis 12.1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. See, God's call to Abraham was not a test to receive his love. God loved them and God loves us this morning. But it was a path to see the greater in God. It was a land that God said, I will show you. I'm not speaking about a level of salvation. We all get saved the same way. We surrender our life and we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're saved that way. But there are lands and there are greater things that God says is going to require you to rise up. See, when a person chooses to rise up in their life, there's a separation that occurs with those around them. It happens with friends, it happens with brothers, sisters, family. I was 18 years old when I got saved. At about, if I recall right, 2021, 20, um, when I was 20 or 21, I was given the position of being a door director. I had to rise up and do things that my friends weren't doing. That's just the reality of ministry. It's the reality of the will of God. It's the reality of people running in a race that there are people who are faster and there are others who are building the stamina and building the speed. But regardless of what it is, rising up will require you to bring a separation. This is a dynamic present in commitment in general. You think about military, uh, the military soldiers when they enlist They become people who have to live different than others. Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. Now great crowds accompany him. Here it is, these people, they're watching him, they're listening to him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's a good sermon. And most of us won't say amen to that. But he's looking at the crowd and he says, there's a separation that needs to happen. See, discipleship comes at a cost. Unfortunately, at times, it comes with a cost of mockery. You, you decide, you choose, you hear your sermon, you go to a conference, you go to, there's a revival, you get a word, you get inspired, and you're like, man, I'm going to do something for God now. Then you get all the different mockeries from friends. And many times it's not even evil. It's just, I don't know, they're just, they're just playing with you. <laughs> but you have to overcome that in your mind. Now, you know what? Yeah, it's cool what they're saying and they're saved. I'm not saying they're going to hell. But I'm rising up. I'm going to do something for the will of God. Rising up, rising up comes at a cost. Rising up doesn't mean getting louder. 
Doesn't mean adding ties to your closet. Doesn't mean showing up to service. It means a lot more than that. It's an it's a spirit, it's an attitude. It's a, the acquiring of an aggressive attitude. We know the Bible tells us that it is the violent that inherit the kingdom of God. See, when you become violent, you begin to make things happen. I wish I had one sister that would say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. You ever gotten food that's bad in a restaurant and then you get aggressive? <laughs> and you're like, I don't like this. And then they start to realize, and they'll do it. They'll start going, and they're like, okay, get, do you want something else? Do you want something? But if you go up to them, and you're like, you know what? This, this doesn't taste that good. And you know, they'll be like, well, that, that's what you ordered. And then you're in a fight with them. But see, when you get aggressive, you start getting things. See, the gospel confronts us with a commitment that results in separation from anything in this world. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 53, Jesus has given them a revelation. He said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Verse 51, this question is a reminder to us in the house of God. Do you think that I came to give peace on earth? <laughs> we just went through Christmas. And we sang the carols. We said, yeah, peace, Noel, peace on earth. And thank God because he did come and save us. But he's given them a, a different thought. He says, do you think that I came to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against their daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Somebody said amen to that. <laughs> but he says there's going to be a separation. When you choose to surrender, there's going to be a separation. Um, William Barclay, is a commentator, said in he, he broke this down incredibly. He said, his coming would inevitably mean division. In point of fact, it did. That was one of the great reasons why the Romans hated Christianity. Because it tore families in two. Over and over again, people had to decide whether they loved better their families or Christ. The essence of Christianity is that loyalty to Christ has to take precedence over the dearest loyalties of this earth. We must be prepared to count all things but loss for the excellence of Jesus Christ. He said, you must be ready that when you choose to rise up, others won't. And that's the danger that we have, is that most of us here go through moments of sparks. For some of us, it's a rhema moment. God spoke to you. You heard from God. You open your Bible. You heard from God. Sometimes it's, it comes from a pulpit. You heard a sermon. It inspired you. We heard 17 in conference, and it inspires revival. So maybe just a conversation, brother, sister, you were encouraged. So now you, you kind of walk around spiritually with your chest out, and you're like, you know what? That's right, man. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to conquer the land. And Houston is spring branches for Jesus, and I'm going to go out there. And many times when we do, the things around us begin to bring us down. But what we see in our text is something incredible. 
we see that Jesus' response did not make sense to his parents. Luke chapter 2, verses 47 through 50, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Verse 50, And they did not understand this saying that he spoke to them. Listen to me, brother, sister. This morning, if you want to rise up, you have to come to grips that some will understand what most won't. The mistake that we can make is to seek the understanding of others as approval to our commitment. Some will, others won't. And that's not just simply saying those who are saved will understand and those who aren't saved won't understand. I wish it was as black and white like that. But listen to me, my brother, my sister here this morning. There will be people in your church that won't understand. Why you lift up a banner. Why you choose, you know what, to be faithful to every service. Why you choose to be generous and give above the tithe and, and be faithful with your finances. Why do you choose to preach and always be in outreaches? Why do you choose to live that way in modesty? Why do you dress that way? Why do you speak that way? There's going to be people in the world, obviously they won't understand, but there'll be people in the house of God, people close like parents, who when you say, listen, I do it because of God, won't make sense. And hell will use those relationships dear to us to anchor us to comfort. And the way this looks like many times is people will say, I just, just don't want drama. I just, I just, I, I, don't, I don't want to make them mad. My challenge to you this morning is forget that and rise up. Is do something for God. There is something that God has for you that will require you to commit to him. I want to close on my third point. And that is the chemistry to rising up. Rising up is about being, is, is being about the father's house. This phrase, the father's house, really what it, what it summarizes, what it brings together, what it encapsulates is when the will of God become personally ours. All of us here, we have a common will of God together. We must come to church. That's a common one, right? We must be here. We gather together as God's people, as the local church here in, in Spring Branch, and we come together. We, we have to pray. We have to read our Bibles. Those are common things. But when you use the phrase, I'm being about my father's house, what you're saying is the house of God became yours. That will that God has for you, now that's yours. This is what he, Jesus is telling his parents. He's saying, don't you know I must be in my father's house? He's saying that to his father. He's saying that to his dad. He's saying it to his mother. He's saying, listen, mom, dad, or daddy, or mommy, or papi, or what I don't know, in Hebrew, however he said it. But he said, I must be about my father's house. He's saying... God's house is more important than your house. 
He's saying the will of God takes precedence over yours. And that wasn't Jesus being disobedient. You see him later, the verse says, okay, he went with them and he was submissive to them. You just tell him, he's making a point to him. He says, listen, I got bigger things. I love you. I care for you. But I must be about my father's house. It represents an understanding of ownership in our calling. Can I remind you this morning that if God has called you, it is your responsibility to answer. See, calling isn't available forever. You must answer. If not, it's going to move on. You're going to have to own it. Pursue what God has for you aggressively. I saw a meme yesterday of um, there was um, there was a football game yesterday that didn't happen because it was like negative ten with a blizzard and and it was like negative thirty with a wind chill and there was a picture of a guy. I guess he made it early to the game, but he was there. He was layered and all the snow was on top of him. He was he was there, and somebody took it and took took the opportunity to say, and you can't make it a church? <laughs> you, can't, you can't make it a church? Layered up and said, I'm going to be there. I'm going to watch the bills. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to support them, even if it's negative 30. Some of us, anyway, I was going to speak about the heaters, but I'll just leave it alone. I just said, <laughs> you have to own it. It has to become yours. I can't serve God for you. Your husband, your wife, they can't serve God for you. Listen, teenager, your parents, they're not going to be able to serve God for you. You're going to have to make a choice. You're gonna grow, one day, you're going to grow up and be held accountable for things. You have to own it. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm, don't you know I must be in my father's house? I must be about my father's business. I want to kind of break it down and make it practical for us. I believe there's a two-part, two-ingredient formula to rising up. And that is obedience and timing. So let's speak about obedience, obedience quickly. Obedience releases further revelation. You don't get more of God if, if you're disobedient. Can I get one friend out there that said, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. Revelation is stunted. When disobedience starts. For Abraham, there was a land that God was going to show him, but he needed to separate himself from his country, kindred, and the father's house. Why? Because that's what God said. That's what God said. And sometimes it's that simple as that. That's what God said. You, dads, you've been there, moms, you've been there. You told your kids when they ask why, you say, Because I said so. In our text, we see. There was growth and increase when Jesus pursued the Father's house. Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Listen to me here, disciple, man of God, woman of God. Growth and increase only comes through action in the kingdom of God. It only comes through action in the kingdom of God. Pastor Greg Mitchell said disciples are made in the going 
not in classes, not sitting down and just talking about what we've read or what we've watched. And although there is places for that, no doubt, but disciples are made, increase comes, favor and stature happens when you battle, when you go. A wise man once said, it is difficult to steer a parked car. So get moving. See, disobedience will stunt revelation. Pastor Greg in the conference said, you will, never, you will never have more of the will of God than you're willing to obey. So it stops at some point. If you're not willing to obey it, then why, why would he give more? The second part is timing. I preached this before. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So there's a timing factor to this. That timing, the simplest way we can do it is say, do it now. The disciples didn't wait six months to enter ministry. They got involved the moment they chose to follow. They dropped things. They dropped their securities, their comforts. And they said, we will follow you. You've heard the famous response. Jesus says, the son of man does not have a place to lay his head. What's he saying? He said, you're not going to be comfortable, bro. It's going to be a ride. There's going to be times where it's going to be hard. Increase in favor. Stature comes when you choose to rise up. And what's interesting, our text says, favor with God and man. See, the end result to people rising up will always be net positive. It'll always be more. My encouragement to you to, uh, this morning is don't miss out on all that God has for you simply because of comfort. Oh, listen to me. Hell will write up a contract for you. He'll write a contract and tell you, listen, you can be the backup quarterback in this place. Snap seven times a year. Get inspired every revival, but really not do anything. Can you put that picture of, of that quarterback again? Look at this guy right here. Like, this is the picture of a backup quarterback. He looks cool. He's wearing shoulder pads. He's got an earpiece. He's got the uniform. But he's not bumping with other guys. He's not in there fighting. The actual guy is in there. His uniform is dirty. Helmet is on. Yesterday I saw a highlight of Patrick Mahomes hitting somebody and his helmet cracked. That's the, those, are, those are the actual people that have risen up. Don't miss out simply because of the contract that hell wrote for you. Say, listen, you'll be comfortable. You'll be nice. Just come to church. It's okay. There's a wonderful book that I've recommended before. It's called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And it's, it's so cool the way they portray it. And I believe this is the nature of hell. That maybe hell says, you know what, I probably can't get them out of salvation anymore, but I'll hinder the growth that they can have. I might not be able to get them to backslide because there's some solid things in their mind. There's some solid decisions they made in their heart, but I'm going to get them to not evangelize, to not follow up. They made the team, but I'll, I'll get them to sit on the bench. See, the comfort, beloved, that we will experience in heaven 
is of much more value than what this world offers. So my challenge to you is a very simple one. Let us rise up. We need some men, we need some women who will rise up today. Who won't need anybody to pick them up. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to rise up. I know the responsibility. I know the calling. I know the needs. I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to help other people rise up. We need some King Davids who would look at Goliath and say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Goliath came out every single day and said, give me one guy, just, just bring somebody from the army, just one guy, and nobody. People dressed to fight, dressed for the occasion, nobody. Shepherd boy with some cheese in his hand said, you know what, I'll, I'll come down, I'll grab a, sling, a slingshot, I'll grab a sling, and I'll take care of business. Why? Because he's about the father's business. We need some men, some women here who will say, you know what, regardless of what people say, what the world says, what family members says, friends and acquaintances, I don't care. I am rising up and doing something for God. And I believe that people are here. I believe people who can spark revival you can spark the move of, move of God is here. It's just a matter of rising up. It comes at a cost, but it's well worth it. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Respect to God. Respect to your neighbor here this morning. Maybe you're here. And you're not right with God. You're not saved. You haven't given your life to Jesus. You know about him. You might have even grown up in a Christian home or in some type of Christian influence. But today you very well know you haven't surrendered. You haven't given everything up to follow him. You haven't placed your full confidence in him. That's you here this morning. You're saying, you know what? I need to get right with Jesus. I don't want to live another second knowing that I'm in danger of complete eternal separation from God in that lake of fire. I don't want to go to hell. If that's you here this morning, you want to give your life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Not saved to stand in front of God. You don't know what God's going to say, but today you want to make it very clear. Saying, you know what? I will accept you, Jesus. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Maybe you're backslidden, a person who used to be right with God, but today you want to give your life again. You want to reconcile your relationship with Jesus. You've backslid. You've separated yourself from God. You've turned your back on him. You might not have renounced them, but your actions speak opposite of everything he is. And today you're saying, you know what? I want to reconcile my relationship with Christ. That's you. Would you give your life to Jesus? Raise your hand tonight or this morning. Backslider, come home. Quickly, not save or backslider, would you raise your hand? Amen. Very well.
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to the church. Church, listen, it's time to rise up. It's time to do something for Jesus. It's time to do something for God. There might be a lot of things happening in your life. A lot of valid things, legit things that we can speak about. But at the end of the day, you, you're going to want to be standing in front of God. Looking at him, knowing that you rose up. And you did things. You, you, you did the best that you could do. You don't want to have regrets in front of God. And all that's been said here this morning, it comes to a very simple s summarizing. And that is, I want to do this for God. I want to do it for God. That's what Jesus said. I'm, don't, don't you know, I must be about my father's house. There's people here, you need to make that commitment. That commitment wasn't only with God. That commitment was said to other people. There's people here this morning, you got to say that to people. When they question you, where have you been? You say, listen, I, I'm in the will of God. And you can come along if you want. But I'm going to be about my father's house. Let's stand up, every single person in this place. Let's stand to our feet. Let's all stand. I want to encourage you, listen, these altars are open. Let's come to the front. Let's get a hold of God. We're going to sing a worship song here in a moment, but... I want to encourage you that you will come and talk to Jesus. Maybe come and ask God to rekindle something in you. To go, listen, the will of God will always involve people. It's always about serving. If you're not serving people, you're not in the will. You're not doing anything for God. You must be helping others. And today my challenge to you is that you will rise up and make the Father's house a priority. And say, you know what? I'm not going to let anything bring me down. Hallelujah. Let's sing out the song.